0: Welcome to Be Advised, Leading with Value with Brad Swinehart. In this podcast, we will focus on successful marketing methods for advisors that generate prospects and clients. We will learn from the best in the industry on how advisors in the trenches today are growing their practices. Join us for this journey where Brad draws from years of expertise and guest experts to help advisors reach their full potential. Be known as
1: an expert and when you speak they will listen. That means getting your message out across multiple platforms. Brad Swinehart of White Glove knows that. This is just one of his channels. His podcast, Be Advised, Leading with Value. His guest also knows that. Jason Pereira is a financial planner, portfolio manager, writer, and fintech guru, let's just to name a few occupations. A senior partner at Woodgate Financial, Jason oversees the needs of the firm's more than 180 households and $190 million in assets under management. And Jason is also a podcast host. So, Brad, you and Jason both adroitly use various forms of media to connect with advisors. Tell us how.
2: Jason, thanks so much
3: for being on. I. Love all of the things that you have going on, and I think there's just so many avenues that we could explore today with your expertise and your knowledge of the industry. What I really want to focus on is the fact that you are an advisor, and what are you doing currently for your marketing
2: campaigns, and how are you seeing success? So, first of all, it's always an evolving beast, right? And it's one of these things where just like they the old saying about spending more time on your business, not just in your business, a big chunk of that is not just operational, it's marketing and that's a constant iteration. So I'll I'll kind of give you the journey. The early on, the first kind of initial marketing that was done besides the, you know, centers of influence and the traditional referral channels, was I started writing on occasion for an advisor periodical in Canada. And I built a bit of a reputation from that, and then I had to back away from that when I merged into larger business. And finally, eventually, I came back to it. So it started predominantly with writing specifically into the advisor community in general, and then it parlayed itself into two podcasts. One is specifically on fintech, and that is, as of this recording, over 160 episodes deep. Another one more recent is a little over 50 episodes now, and it's specifically on financial planning for Canadian business owners, My my general target niche. And those were kind of the the first three media waves that I did. And then from there, that information gets repackaged. I've since parlayed into my own blog and also into a small cable television channel. Uh, opportunity was presented myself, so I started a financial literacy channel, was a financial literacy show there. And, you know, the, really the efforts right now are to keep those going, to build on those, but also then a lot more to convert a lot of that content and build and stack upon that with some more content marketing on, on the web and, and start doing some more defined target marketing using Google ads and other venues. And I think something that's
3: super important for advisors to understand, and they're kind of getting there, right, is that, you know, it's not just the in-person seminars through a mailer. It's not just having an office; it's having a professional presence online, where where people can find you. And I we see here more and more at White Glove that advisors need to have more presence in different formats, where it, whether it's a blog, a podcast, a social media presence on LinkedIn and Facebook. It still kind of blows my mind when advisors don't have a LinkedIn profile. And I think at the root of it, they just don't understand the purpose. Maybe you could expound on that a little bit.
2: Well, I think here's the problem. And you mentioned traditional channels. And the one of the key differences between traditional channels and content marketing and online presence is that essentially... Traditional channels like doing a seminar, or whatever, you, ha- you can have a direct ROI, right? You spend X number of dollars, you landed Y number of households, and you landed Z amount of assets. So you can do the math on hey, I spent you know, five grand and I brought in $30,000 in recurring income. That is a great deal. I'll do that every day. The difference is content marketing is about brand, and brand takes time to establish, and it, but it really does compound over time and i've got a, a friend who's an accomplished marketer and he basically refers to is you know sales and marketing are the things you do to get or the money is the money you spend to basically make a sale today brand is the sale you get for free because of the position you occupy so for example you want a sugary cola drink you just automatically think coke right that has taken a tremendous amount of time a tremendous amount of, time, of money to basically establish that brand what is possible for advisors is the ability to be seen as experts in the field, whether that be the broad field of planning or in niche fields servicing certain types of clients and become known not just amongst the people who need that service, but by the industry as a whole. So one of the more successful channels for me in the last two years, believe it or not, has been referrals from other advisors who've landed prospects that are beyond their capacity or because of the stuff I've done that basically talks about what needs to be done for these people they realize that that's not their wheelhouse. And they would rather pass that off to someone like myself and other the client's taken care of than fake it till they make it. So that's the difference. Is the difference is that one is a long play. It is a long-term investment in, in constantly just basically putting it all out there, sharing the wisdom you have, and basically not, not worrying about keeping it all to yourself, but building that reputation. And that takes time. And that takes time, especially in a digital realm, because there's so much noise out there. But if you don't even have the base foundation, as you said, like a LinkedIn page or a website, I mean, I've interviewed a couple of advisor website companies, 20 over 10 and advisor websites for that matter. And the biggest retort they get to why they're not, services aren't being used is why do I need a website? I don't have a website. I never get any business from my website. It's a joke. The number one thing people do when they get referred to you these days is very simple. They go to Google. And if you don't exist there, but the other person that got got referred to them does, where do you think they're going to go? that's so true. And I'm more of a Pepsi
3: guy than a Coke guy, but I think that advisors focus on, you know, we always get that question, what's the ROI. And the, the point of having a website of having a LinkedIn profile, is exactly what you said. You have to be stockable online. If you don't think your ideal prospect is going to research you before that phone call, then you're hundred percent missing out. And that the thing is, is they're not going to call you and say, hey, I couldn't find you online. They're just not going to call. And one of the things that I've always found is very impactful is, is if you have that brand awareness, if you have that content out there, if you put in the efforts for those long plays, what that's going to do is that's going to op- or optimize all your past marketing efforts and all your future marketing efforts, and that's what advisors, I think, are still you know trying to wrap their heads around. They know I buy twenty leads at a seminar, you know, I'm going to pick up two clients. That's great. The other eighteen, I'm going to throw in my CRM. Maybe I'll throw a drip email out to them once in a while, but I'm really not going to do anything with
2: it because I'm just going to keep filling that funnel. And what you're the talking problem about, problem is, sorry, the problem is there is they paid for a transaction. What we're talking about in terms of developing brand and content marketing is developing a long tail of library content that things you do five years ago may pay off now. And the thing is, is that you can buy that lead today and then that transaction is going to get closed. And if you don't don't do anything with them, you basically, that's wasted money. Your ROI on that is zero. But the ROI on writing a, a sincere and informative blog post might not be apparent for 10 years, but when it does, it pays off in spades. Totally agree. I
3: could not agree more with that. We all the time hear from advisors that have an established brand, that have a robust social media, that have a nurturing campaign set up, that they pick up clients from seminars from two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, and the advisors that are only focused on filling that funnel are missing out because they don't have the established branding like you're talking about here.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? The, here's the thing I love about content marketing. What I love about it is it is two things. A, it works and B, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because it involves a commitment. It involves work. It involves, I'll say say it out loud. It involves passion. You know, if you're out there putting out content and helping people out for nothing and just giving it away, it's because you sincerely care about informing people. You sincerely care about helping them make the best decisions. You sincerely care about just making the industry better for a fact. And you know, a lot of people will say to me like, Oh my God, where do you find the time? Like, how do you find time to grow your business? And I I say, well, you fail to realize that is what I do to grow my business. I love that. So let's talk about
3: consistency then? So you have a ton of channels, right? You're doing blogs, you have your own podcast. I see, I mean, you're on multiple other podcasts as the expert, you know, thanks for being here today. But what about consistency would you suggest to advisors? Okay, I'm going to start thinking about a blog, I'm gonna start thinking about putting content out there. You know, my mentality and has always been if you're going to do one, you better be prepared to do 200.
2: You know, what are your thoughts on that? It's absolutely true. You know, I will speak first to, and, and no one's perfect at this. I mean, like my blog, quite honestly, is my most abused channel at this point. It's, it's actually quite popular when I, when I actually do post things, the numbers are quite substantial, but it's one of those things where I write every week. It's just a matter of what channel it goes to, and it doesn't always land on the blog. So here's my point. You don't, you don't have to hit every channel repeatedly, but you have to hit a few with pure consistency. So the average podcast, the statistics are something like they last like no more than six episodes on average because people give up. Because you know they invest this money on equipment, they pay for editing, they do all this stuff, and next you know their first podcast gets listened to by 50 people. And they're like, okay, well, we'll see how the second one goes. And it's, it's 55, right? And the next thing you know, they're down six episodes and they have yet to hit 100, and they're like, well, this is a failure, right? The reality is, is that you have to respect the channel and the time it takes to discover. And, and if you launch them in like a podcast or a blog or whatever it is, your friends are going to be the only ones who read it first or listen to it first. That's it. But those, that's very long tail content. I have people every week who download over 100 episodes of my FinTech podcast because they discover the podcast, listen to one or two episodes, and they're like, oh, man, and they go and do it. Now, if you're a podcast listener, like I am, the one thing that frustrates you that, like craziest if you find something that you like and there's no additional content. You know, the reality is just that if you're not being consistent and putting it out there every couple of weeks, there's a lot of competition for for space in someone's podcast playing app. And if you're if they look at if someone's saying I can't listen to all this, I need to get rid of something, and you haven't published in, you know, you publish once every two months, unless you're incredibly compelling, unless you're like Dan Carlin, who does hardcore history and does one episode every like four months, but he's he can get away with it because they're so bloody good, people are going to delete you. Right. So without a lack of consistency, it's two things. One, you lose your audience. You lose that connection. You lose the ability to be that voice in their ear on a regular basis. And two, with that lack of consistency, you're not building volume. You're not, you're not building. One blog post might not resonate with someone, but of the 50 you write over the course of a, of a year, for example, something in there is going to resonate with just about everybody. right? And, and if they find one thing that resonates, they'll spend the time to look for other things. So it's about two things keeping that relationship, keeping that direct voice. There are certain newsletters and podcasters that I swear to God, when I read their newsletters, I can hear their voice in my head because that's how often, that's the connection I have with their content. You want to be that because I've had people come to me saying, hey, I love what you do. I listen to your podcast forever. And it's kind of weird for me actually seeing your face because I've I've been hearing this voice for so long now, right? That's, I actually have a relationship with these people before I've ever met them. So that's the key is don't just, try it, leave it by the wayside and not care about it. You know, you're just showing also that you're just not a consistent person, right? No one wants to deal with an inconsistent advisor. And it's interesting because
3: what you said about that, you get into a podcast, you start listening to it. Maybe you get into a blog, you start reading it, and then there's no more content, right? That dude, you just, you're inconsistent with it or you don't keep putting it out. Those dedicated readers, listeners, followers, they're still going to want that information. They're going to still want to read something, to listen to something. And at some point, if you say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to communicate. They're going to find it from somebody else. So you have to face the fact that their needs are still there. And if you're not going to satisfy those, who are you comfortable with providing that, you know, letting them provide that information to your prospects or your clients. So, what would you recommend? I'm a brand new, or I'm an advisor. I don't have social media. I don't have a podcast. I've never written a blog. There's so many options out there, right? Facebook, LinkedIn, there's blog content, podcasting, Google AdWords, Google search, you know, all of that stuff. Where should I spend my initial time to get this thing started? Where should
2: I start? So first and foremost, if you're starting from zero, Okay, I will say, spend your time on LinkedIn and build it out as best as you possibly can. And here's the thing about LinkedIn: two two points. One, it is your ability to put a resume in front of a prospect without it being weird, right? Like, let's just say you've done a lot of really cool, wonderful stuff, and you got all this education, and all this other stuff. The reality is, is that to put that in front of a client in a prospecting meeting is a little bit awkward and a little bit let's just, a little bit braggadocious, whatever you want to call it. But if they're going to look you up and see a list of accomplishments, as long as your arm, they're going to be impressed by that. It's, it's their opportunity to do that in an invasive way. It's also your ability to connect with prospects, right? Because you can, you know, you have a conversation, you add them on LinkedIn. And then before they even come in for the first meeting, they have a t- an opportunity to look into you. Now, conversely, if your LinkedIn is looking very anemic, you probably need to do something about that because you're not differentiating in any way, shape or form. And if you're not differentiating, how are you winning? So that's the first piece. The second piece is that once the LinkedIn is done, get a website, okay? There really is no excuse anymore. When you look at the no code options for advisor websites, so there's the advisor specific channel, one's 20 over 10 and advisor websites, which will give you a a drag and drop interface to create your own website. They'll even have custom curation where people will actually design it for you for an affordable rate and make it easy to not only put it up there, but also on your blog, and in some cases give you the content to put in that blog if you want, then again, there is no excuse. You can stand up a website in less than a week. If you wanna do something more your own, not using their templates, Squarespace, Wix, Webflow, same type of process, but more general market. You can literally, if you can type into Word and you can drag and drop an image into a browser, you can build a website. There is no code required anymore. So there really is the barrier to entry in terms of complexity is non-existent. And if you literally want someone else to do it for you, there's you can get it done for an incredibly affordable price. It used to cost thousands of dollars to get websites done. Now you can get them done for hundreds. And
3: what's interesting is the idea behind stocked credibility. And I love that you said LinkedIn is number one, because every and every single professional I talk to every single marketing person, salesperson, successful advisor, they always answer LinkedIn as number one. And the thought process is exactly what you said. If you were to go and tell a client or a prospect, all of your accolades, there's no way to do that without coming off as arrogant or braggadocious or whatever. But if there's a, totally different mindset when someone puts in the effort to stalk you, to find you online, to see what you're all about. And then they find those key things about you. That is so warm and endearing. It's a totally different process than trying to push that information out to somebody. So that kind of stalked credibility is just absolutely king. And the neat thing about LinkedIn is it has this image of it's for professionals, it's for businesses, it's for Rely, you know, you have to be a professional to be on there. It's not like Facebook where everybody's on that and they share all their opinions. It's for
2: professionals. I think what it comes down to is you have to respect what the medium is for, right? So I've had young advisors come to me in the past and say, you know, I really want to do stuff on like TikTok or like Instagram. And I basically say, okay, what? And they're like, well, that's where everybody is now. I'm like, okay, that's where everybody's going. How do you translate what it is you do into that media format and that type of experience. So, so let's just go back to this. What you said with LinkedIn is actually bang on, right? It's done, it's for business, right? So that's the easiest one to do. But When you have to wrap your head around everything else, consider that Facebook is about community, right? So if you're going to be on Facebook as, and try to market your business, you have to be there as a community builder. Otherwise, it's not gonna be effective. Right? If you're going to be on TikTok, TikTok is about conversation, being conversational, a little bit controversial sometimes, and basically being a, you know, a, a peanut gallery, being willing to, be, you know, to lean into opinions, being really willing to comment on stuff, being willing to basically not be afraid of putting your opinion out there and have it criticized and defend it. Right? So you have to be comfortable with that. Instagram is all about images, right? i met one advisor, one young advisor who cracked Instagram, only one I've ever met he did. And he basically has such a flood of millennial and late Gen X uh, prospects because what he does is that he realized Instagram is about sharing the journey. So he's putting out all this content that's about his journey as a financial planner and trying to find visual ways to like, you know, things like he's studying, things like he's going to seminars, whatever else, and sharing with the process on a daily basis so that people try to understand the life of it. Right. It's like just like people get depressed about not having on Instagram about not having a life as audacious as what they see on other people on Instagram. You want to demonstrate the audacious life of your professionalism in a visual way if you can. Now, that's challenging though. TikTok, well, you know, um, I don't know about. I don't. I have yet to see anyone do that right. I've seen lots of people do that wrong, as we've all seen with GameStop and everything else. But I'm sure there's a good channel. There's a good way to accomplish that. And the real, the hardest one—not the hardest one, but the one with the most difficult and highest entry to barrier has to be video. So YouTube. YouTube is like the second largest search engine in the world when it comes down to it, because basically it's a search engine just for video. And There's a handful of people I've seen that have done very high quality, very informative, very educational videos at a high level. And my God, is it paying off for these people? But it is the one that requires the greatest amount of investment. But you have to, as I said, going back to your point earlier about LinkedIn, LinkedIn, yeah, professional. That's why it's easy for us as professionals. Very easy. Everything else, you can't just take the LinkedIn message and push it out over Twitter. It ain't going to work. You have to respect the medium and cater to that medium. Right. Just like you don't take a newspaper ad and buy a TV commercial spot and just slap the ad on the TV. It's never going to work.
3: And it's interesting to look at the different online cultures and you're you're spot on with the different messages and the different expectations of users of those platforms. You know, I don't want to log on to my Facebook and see an ad for a business promoting how great they are. I just don't. But I would interact with a professional who's showing me that, hey, I'm a real person and this might be what I do in my day job. And I think all those subtle nuances between social platforms is difficult for advisors to understand if they're not in it and they're living in it. And to start with LinkedIn one of the things that I always refer back to is, is they might not know who your financial firm is, right? And that's why financial. I don't know who that is, but I just talked to Jason and I can look on LinkedIn and look up Jason. And I know that I'm going to be able to find him if he's a professional. That's it.
2: That's Exactly. And it's, and I will, I'll, you know, the piece of advice I'll give there and I'll, I'll show you two pieces of advice. The first one is if you're going to even contemplate trying to market along a channel spend a good six months submersed in that channel. Like if if you're like, I'm gonna start marketing on Twitter and you're not spending six months, just basically spending one hour a day on it minimum and just commenting on stuff and doing, and just actually being actively involved as a user, don't bother because you don't understand it, right? When you understand it, once you become a native to that platform, it's a lot easier to understand what resonates because you'll know the things that you've written that are popular you know the things that you've written that are that that basically hit and you'll you'll get a better understanding of the context and the second piece i'll say is that what we're talking about right now is is really curated engaged content right so there's two types there's the automatic content generation and then there's the curated stuff so the automatic content generation is easy these days and awesome so full disclosure, I'm an advisor to a company called AdvisorStream. They are a social media marketing platform. And what they do is they take curated content from all over the internet, specifically from AAA publications like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. And they basically push it out for you across social media channels and newsletters and capture leads for you. That, That platform is fantastic, right? Like the number of leads that I've, you know, these are weak leads. These are not strong leads, but the number of leads I capture from that is substantial. And the reality is, is that because of that system, there is something in every social media feed I have daily, right? So there's consistency. It takes care of the base level consistency. I, through my just going on daily and playing around with the various ones I choose to spend my time in, you know, maybe I spend, what depends on if you ask my wife or not how much time I spend on it, but, you know, if I spend like an hour on Twitter or LinkedIn combined And I find stuff to comment on, stuff to post. Anytime I see something that I think is interesting to share with my community and I do it, you know, that is more impactful because it comes from my voice, right? As opposed to a more generic message. So you can very easily automate the base level engagement. But if you really want impact, you have to let your voice get out there and you have to make your voice relevant. And if you do that, people, you can see the levels of engagement you get for the stuff that you curate yourself versus the automatic substantially higher. And we've
3: seen that as well. And we love those guys over there, Brian, we're very good friends with them as well. And we actually use their platform or their, their content to fuel our social media program, social connect. And, and what we've done is, you know, taking that base level content, and then we automate that with a, a human being driving the system on our side. And then we add in some of that personal content that we pull from advisors to help them just do that without having to learn the platforms. So yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right on all of those points. One thing that sometimes advisors forget to do is just not just post on those platforms, but also engage with your followers, engage with what they're posting on, you know, make sure that you're commenting, liking, paying attention to what they are doing. Oftentimes they might not read every post you do, but they're going to read a comment that you left on their post. And that's something that I think that advisors or anybody in this space needs to focus on. I mean, so much <laughs> there's so many nuances that you you've mentioned today, Jason, that it is a hundred percent spot on. I think we could talk for days on all of this. So we have LinkedIn is just an essential tool. If you really want to step up your game, it's that custom content, it's that that blog type content. And then, you know, I think that we've both seen massive success in the podcasting space. So Let's just finish up with that. If I'm an advisor, I'm interested in in maybe doing some podcasts. Maybe I've done an episode or two with White Glove when we do our podcasting service, but I want to start my own. How should I structure my content for that that will attract an ideal consumer? And the bigger question is, is my ideal consumer listening to podcasts that I would make?
2: So... The, the, okay. So let me start with the second question altogether. So you're going to basically make So the first question is, if you're going to make a podcast or create, spend time on a podcast, what I always tell people who come to me for this. And by the way, I wrote a blog post called the financial advisors guide to podcasting, which gives a lot of tips on this. First thing you got to ask yourself is what am I even going to talk about? Right? What am I going to talk about? And how am I going to be compelling? Because there's like millions of podcasts out there now. Like, I'm not exaggerating. There are so many out there. It's crazy. So, discoverability is difficult. So, the first thing you got to think of is what am I actually going to do? And this is where you have to think about broad versus niche audiences. A broad audience, you have to talk about things that are more general. A niche audience, like my Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast, the title, I took it because it was available. And man, is it bang on, right? You look at the name, you know exactly who it's for, right? So, you got to think to yourself, where am I going to add value first and foremost, where, and then also look out who else is in the marketplace. So if you're thinking, Hey, I like what Jason just said about business owner podcast, I'm going to do that for, I don't know, business owners in California. First thing you got to look at is, is there a financial plan for California business owners podcast? If there is, and, or there's people with forget that title, but people specifically came to that niche. Are you going to be able to provide anything over and above the value they present? Or are you going to be an all ran right? So figure out where there is a unique opportunity, first and foremost, for you to provide value. It doesn't have to be a specific niche, but it has to be a different message than what you're hearing elsewhere through all the other podcast options. So the first way you solve for are people going to listen to it is Make it compelling. As I tell everybody who's going to be on the podcast when they say like, what are we going to talk about or how are we going to do this? I'm like, look, I got one rule. Make it interesting. If I'm getting bored, the listener's probably turned off by then. So let's just keep this interesting and let's steer the conversation that way. So that's the first step is make it compelling. Now that is going to take some work, right? Because maybe you're not the most conversational person and, and what I, one of the things I've learned is that interviewing in itself is a skills, I'm sure you've learned, right? If you go back and listen to my first three podcasts, podcasts versus you know episode 150, it's like night and day the way I conduct myself. And it is, you know, we cl- I've clearly come a long way on it. And it's something that you have to constantly iterate upon. So make it compelling first and foremost, make the content compelling to the audience you are targeting secondly. Then you have to promote it. People are not going to just discover it at random. So... Push it out over all your media channels. Push it out to specific community groups in those media channels. For example, if there's you know Facebook groups on business owners, as I just said, or let's say doctors whatever, and say, hey, I've started a podcast for this specific topic. You guys should uh, chime in. Every podcast released has to be pushed out over every media channel you possibly can for people to discover it. Make it discoverable. And here's a pro tip. Basically, you have to use that media in multiple ways. So... You should have a website for your podcast. Now, many of the podcasting services provide you with a website now, which is great. So you have a shortcut for that. You should get at least show notes done for the podcast. Show notes are a summary of everything that happened uh, that basically details, you know, who was when certain topics were discussed, what the topics were, follow-up stuff, things like that. Then if you, and this is where it gets a little bit more pricey, but a transcript, a transcript can go a long way towards discoverability. And the reason is because, Google does not search audio, but Google searches words. And if you're talking, if you manage to get a guest who is a AAA recognized person in that industry, in that spot, and someone goes to look for that person by the nature of Google search engine, they will come across your podcast. I have literally had people, friends of mine, basically look for other professionals or get referred to other professionals, Google their name and find a podcast and interview something I did with them. And then just directly message me saying, Hey, I got referred to this person. I see you interviewed them. What do you think of them? And and then, then I'll endorse them. So basically make yourself discoverable amongst them as many channels, as many ways as possible. And that's really it. So will they listen, make it compelling. It's got to be interesting, and it's got to be discoverable. You solve both of those two problems, and what's going to happen is that your audience will grow. Now, what is the expectation of growth? Again, friends and family are going to start. The smaller the niche, the smaller the audience. The larger the niche, the larger the audience. Right? You look at the biggest podcasts in the world, and they get like millions of downloads per day. You look at something like, you know, even in our industry, like Michael Kitz's podcast. I think the guy's got like half a million per episode or something like that. Something like. It's at least 200 plus thousand. Last time I heard it, last time I talked to him, it's not bigger than that. So even in a niche or an industry specific niche, you can do tremendous things because that podcast is just that good. You look at something like what I'm doing in fintech, fintech is a much smaller niche, right? Success and being one of the top in the world is not measured by millions or hundreds of thousands. It's measured by thousands of downloads per week. So, and when I say thousands, I mean the low end of the thousands. So that is success, but it doesn't take a million plus to get opportunity. You can create opportunity. My business owner podcast is still just finishing its first year. It's less than a thousand downloads per week, and I've already gotten con- I've already gotten business out of it. It's paid for itself more than a couple times over. So, you know, success needs to be measured within context.
3: Well, thank you so much, and I want to just re- Respond to everything you said there. It's all spot on. There's so much more that we could talk about. We'll definitely get that blog content out too, to to our advisors and our listeners because I I love that as far as the the podcasting tips and and one thing that I'll just the end on and and I think Jason has done an excellent job of ex- describing this for everybody is that you know that that marketing strategy of bringing out brand awareness is an absolute necessity in the business today and you know, utilizing content and content multiplication, where you use your podcast, turn that into a blog, turn that into posts on LinkedIn using that. It can be a very efficient way to elevate your game. So when prospects find you that you look credible, Jason, thank you very much for being on today. It was an amazing episode. My pleasure.
1: Jason Pereira and Brad Swinehart podcasters extraordinaire with some great messaging insights for advisors Subscribe to Brad's podcast, Be Advised, Leading with Value, for the latest episodes and cutting-edge communication techniques. And let your friends know you're thinking of them by sharing with the share button.
0: Thank you for listening to Be Advised, Leading with Value, with Brad Swinehart. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Mike Love. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.